This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like really loves. Nope. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, good evening, and welcome to a special live edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. Over there to the left of that screen, of our screen, is A.D. Drew. And, of course, to the right is our good friend Chris Ferguson. So, you know, whenever we see Chris and Drew in the same space, that means we're talking about D2 football uh, and what an amazing season as we get ready to talk about the S, uh, the CIAA and SIAC football championship games. Drew, Chris, how's everybody doing this evening? I'm doing fine, my brother. I'm doing fine, man. It's a good day. How about you, Chris? It's a real good day. Doing good. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Are That's we a little wet while man. Oh, well, sure, sure. Yeah, it, it seems to be it's wet, in a lot of, it's wet in a lot of places down in the south, thanks to uh, Tropical Storm Nicole. But uh, my, my general question as we get going, are we excited about these championship games? Chris is shaking his head. Drew, I know you're excited with your alma mater playing for a title. Oh, of, of course, I'm excited that uh, – 
Tuskegee decided to get back into the football business. You know, we've been the best at it in HBCU history. But, you know, the last couple of years, we decided to take a break and let a few other people uh, go ahead and win the championships and get a few wins and everything else. So what did we do? We go get one of the most successful coaches over the past decade and bring him home back to Mother Tuskegee. And Coach Reginald Ruffin is in his not one, not two, not three, but fourth consecutive SIAC championship game, the previous three with Miles, and then his last SIAC championship game, so he says, with Tuskegee. All apologies to Benedict and Fayetteville State fans. We promise this won't be a heavy Tuskegee University show. Uh, Chris, how you? What, what, what's exciting to you about uh, about these football championships? Oh man, you know what? It's hilarious. Over the past like week, we've just seen so many people that have been just in their feelings about Choi making the championship game. <laughs> and <I> think- <laughs> And it's just been, you know, it's kind of refreshing in a way to see yet another school in the championship game, which is what I'm excited about. You know, Fable State's in it for like the fifth straight time. And it's just like, man, like, can anybody else in the South challenge what's going on? And it doesn't seem That's since Winston-Salem got out the football business. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. They, they, I don't think they have the plans to return anytime soon right now. Um, so, um, it, it, it's just tough, man. It is really tough. But on, on the north side, it's just not, it's just refreshing to see yet another school make it. Although I think, you know, everybody was excited for Virginia Union to get there, and then they just fumbled the bag at the last second, and um, here we are. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's good that you you know kind of mentioned that because I think when we start uh, this this show and this opening segment, and we just kind of recap this season, whether it be from the CIAA or the SIC. Um, I think that's probably story 1A, maybe. Uh, 1B might be Benedict, but 1A is maybe the fact that Virginia Union is not in this game because we we watched them conquer uh, so many teams, and, and, and I think we all woke up when we saw them travel and knock off number two, uh, Valdosta State on the road. Then they handled uh, Fayetteville State on the road. They handled Bowie State on the road. And and I think we just assumed, right? I mean, we thought, and their biggest, and look, their rival, Virginia State, was on the road. Road Warriors, and, and we watched Virginia Union rise, and then all of a sudden, it just goes to show football one, one bad day. It's a game of inches, a game of turnovers. And just like that, man, it, it's gone. Now, I mean, we all hope and assume that Virginia Union has a shot at going to the playoffs, but it's, it does sting a little bit that they're not here. Uh, so, I mean, that might be story 1A. Uh, what what sort of has been, uh, Chris, coming back to you as you kind of recap this season, maybe a storyline or two uh, that, that's that's caught your attention? And, and feel free to to, to – piggyback off of the union story or or anything else that's out there on your mind yeah i think one of the biggest stories was the emergence of Jada byers as a legit harlan hill candidate you know harlan hill is the the division two equivalent 
Heisman Trophy. And, you know, he, you know, not just leads in all-purpose yards, but actually leads in rushing yards, and it's not even close. And so I think that, you know, he's a sophomore, and, and to be leading Division two is, is amazing, um, to say the least. Um, you know, if I had some other storylines from the CIAA, um, Kyle Jackson's first season, I think, has been kind of overlooked. Um, you know, somebody who came in and had to kind of rebuild the, the coaching staff and figure out how to run the show for his own. And, you know, not only doing that, but beating Dr. Henry Frazier at his own game, you know, uh, the, the Wiley veteran at Virginia State now, you know, who's a, a former Bowie State coach, Bowie State quarterback. So I, I think that that's a very um, um, overlooked uh, storyline that was definitely a surprise as to see how he, he's been able to, you know, at least in a bit of a transition year, still put together a pretty good showing and still be the top 25 team um, to boot. How about you? How about you, uh, Drew? What What are some storylines as you think back and sort of recap this season that have uh, caught your attention? I'm going to start with the obvious one, Brian. 700 for Tuskegee. And it's not the fact that they got 700. Uh, of course, a lot of people thought they were going to get victory number 700 last year. So to go through the whole offseason at 699, and then to be a West Alabama for victory 700. And what's significant about 700 is they did not stop right there. They have not lost since picking up victory number 700. Storyline number one. Storyline number two is, do you know that an HBCU has the longest current winning streak in Division II football? That being the Benedict Tigers, who are the winners of 12 in a row. They won the last two games of last year and have won all 10 games this year. So Benedict has the longest current winning streak in Division Two football, that that's story number two, and and then probably story number three, and I'm going to uh, stay, stay with the SIAC. The disappointment in Lane season for me, mm, Lane, the only team in the SIAC West that not only returned its head coach, but also returned its quarterback and a lot of key players on both sides of the ball. And for them to finish third in the SIAC West, especially after that opening game against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yes, it's Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, And Arkansas Pine Bluff, has done what Arkansas Pine Bluff has done, except for their spring season. But you expected when you saw this showing by Lane in their first game that they were going to be a player in the SIAC West and have turned out not to be and being uh, very inconsistent. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, 
it's you know as I as I'm gonna mess with you because it's, I find it funny that you made the Tuskegee story one. How is the Benedict story not number one, Drew? Get out of here! I love Tuskegee for winning 700, but Benedict did something that they have never done. Now look, I know Tuskegee has never won 700, and it's I get it, I get it. But when you have a school that has never done and i'm not talking after they got the three and oh drew four and oh has never been done oh six and oh seven eight nine ten and oh never been done only unbeaten in division two hbcu football come on man i that that is story i, I can't can i answer that i'm sure i'll give I, you because i know you're gonna get beat I'll up make by it quick. The internet, folks. So go ahead I'll, I'll make it quick two things brian 10 and 0 may not have, may have never been done by Benedict, but 10 and 0 has been done before. 700 has never been done oh, before by an HBCU. See, so see that's unique. That's the unique angle how, on it. And, I get like, Brian, you coach just like I do. Act like you've been there before. Oh, my bad. Tuskegee has been there before. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so anyway, you know, and, uh, Chris, love you. I love you. That's, that's, you know, but that, you know, it, it's funny. I was, I was looking at the preseason predictions for, for all of these teams. Uh, and let me see if I quickly have this pulled up. Um, uh, over in the uh, CIAA, of course, Fayetteville State was predicted order of finish second behind Bowie State. And, and yeah, uh, I think Bowie State's story uh, is, is very impressive and one of one of the better stories. And I, I think you mentioned, um, I, I would say maybe Shaw, kind of, you mentioned Drew Lane falling apart. But let's give Lane credit. Lane College for pulling off the Division One upset of Tennessee State might have been one of the games of the year. So, Although overall as a season, Lane may have disappointed. I will credit Lane for having one of the best games of the year. But uh, preseason order predicted Fayetteville State was actually predicted to finish second in the beginning uh, of the year. And in the Seattle 1 to 12 ranking, uh, Shawan was actually fifth. Uh, so they had to overcome. Virginia Union, obviously, and Bowie State in order to who were predicted one and three. And then over on the SIC side, Benedict was actually preseason ranked number two behind Albany State. Uh, last year, Benedict finished fifth in the uh, East Division. And then over on the West, Tuskegee was preseason number three. So, you know, obviously, and, and they finished uh, fourth the year before. So you got in the SIC, you got a, a team that finished fifth last year, a team that finished fourth. Both teams are coming into this ball game streaking red hot. Um, I'm trying to think as I just kind of glance over. Uh, well, let's let's you kind of mentioned some disappointment and, and surprises. Chris, come back to you. Any. Any disappointment, large disappointments, uh, you know, that, that you've witnessed or seen over the course of this year that you care to bring up? Yeah, uh, Shaw, like, good grief. <laughs> I mean, injuries and just, you know, quarterback play. Running, except for when they played Livingstone and Andre Brandon had, had like, 
300 yards rushing, literally. Um, but Shaw as the contender in the South, I mean, they just they just fell apart, and it was it was painful to watch. Man, it was so bad to watch. Um, you know, John C. Smith started really hot, but they really regressed to the mean um, as the season wore on, and I don't think they were ever um, the same when their starting quarterback got knocked out with a concussion. Um, so they just sort of just couldn't really do but so much as the season wore on. So um, with South State, you know, if if AD gets to talk, you know, great about his alma mater, I, I, I kind of go in the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> you know, they had a, a, a schedule that was like Charmin soft. I mean, think about the teams they had to play. Central State, loss. Lizard City. They lost. Livingstone hadn't hadn't lost to them since nineteen ninety eight. Well, they lost to them this year. Um, I mean, you know, we kind of crack about homecoming. They didn't have homecoming because of the hurricane, but Lincoln was a serious threat to winning that game too. Um, it, it was just an all around, just really difficult year um, for Winston State. And I mean, it looks like they got some momentum going, a little bit of momentum going into the off season. Um, but it was a disappointing to five with that schedule and, and only get three wins. It, it just feels like that might be a little bit of a ceiling for them. And that's just, that's just really sad. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to mention uh, before we uh, head to break our first break in this uh, preview show that all four of these teams in the CIAA and the SIC were unbeaten within their division. The CIAA, of course, in the North and the South, Fayetteville State 5-0 and in the Southern Division, Shawan 5-0 and in the Northern Division, uh, Tuskegee 7-0 and in the West, of course, Benedict 7-0 and in the East. All four of these teams are coming in on streaks, win streaks, you know, pretty significant ones, of course. Benedict, 10 in a row. Tuskegee, 8 in a row. Fayetteville State, 6 in a row. Shawan, 5 in a row. So, you know, we talk about the importance of winning the second half of the season. Plus, that's what we have in store for all these uh, all these teams. And even within conference, uh, Shawan, of course, finished seven and one uh, overall in the Northern Division. Fayetteville State seven and one in the South. So uh, th- these are interesting matchups. Good teams playing good football at the right times, and uh, we'll get to breaking these games down just on the other side of this break. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, 
the ONG, Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon, so now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Nope. Nope. Want him? Ooh, I like him. Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the Quicker Picker Upper. Welcome back. Uh, BCSN Sports Wrap, our CIAA and SIC football championship preview. Brian Fulford here, uh, A.D. Drew on the left side of the screen, Chris Ferguson on the right. Both of these gentlemen write articles, outstanding articles that have done a great job of breaking down this season. Uh, Chris, of course, covering the CIAA, Drew covering the SIC. So hopefully you guys have had a chance to uh, read many of their articles during the course of this season. We're going to start by, we're going to start with the CIAA game first. And uh, as we do with this breakdown, we'll kind of start one side of the ball or one side, one unit, uh, Fayetteville offense versus Shawan defense. Then we'll flip it over, go Shawan's offense versus Fayetteville defense, talk about the special teams, and, and then maybe get some thoughts, some predictions on where this game might go. But I think what's interesting, we got to mention the fact that in our first contest here, this is actually a rematch game. Uh, Fayetteville State and Shawan played on a Thursday night back in September, September 29th it was. It was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And uh, Fayetteville State ended up winning this contest uh, by a count of 13 to 10. But when you go and look at the statistics, you will you will question how in the world did that happen as Shawan outgained Fayetteville State uh, 413 to 181. Let me, that's right. Let me repeat that. 413 yards uh, to 181. That was the total yardage by Shawan. They had 24 first downs to Fayetteville six. Uh, on third down, they were six of 15. Fayetteville State was one of 13. Um, the, the, they outgained them time of possession, 35-55 to 23-59. Sounds like Shawan should have rolled, right? Yeah, unfortunately, when you have five turnovers, not one, not two. Yeah, you get it. You get it. Uh, they had five turnovers in that ball game to the benefit of Fayetteville State, uh, and and they ended up winning the contest. Um, Fayetteville State actually ended up with a six zero, uh, with a seven zero lead. Actually, you know, Fayetteville State at one point 
led 13-0 going into the end, uh, early in the third quarter. I mean, so stats lie, which is weird because we, Drew, you're an analytic person. You'll never, you know, you love numbers, but numbers lie in this case. Uh, Chris, take us back, and what do you recall about this first matchup? And does the does the fact that this was on a Thursday, four or five days rest, uh, any factors that you think might come into play again? But uh, just your thoughts on the first matchup between these two teams. Yeah, so, you know, Chowan going into the season, um, they had to figure out how are they going to run their offense. I mean, because Mark Hall is really the, the linchpin, the head coach on, you know, a former offense coordinator now head coach. I mean, he has a pretty, you know, ingrained system at Chowan. And, you know, it, it's not, it, it's a very balanced offense and can strike you in different ways. That puts even more pressure on the back to perform. And Chowan kind of came into the season replacing, you know, uh, a, a guy who, you know, had been in there as a starter for four years and knew that offense so well. So they started with, you know, two different quarterbacks. They struggled. But they had a freshman come in, another freshman come in. Caleb Pierce uh, was doing pretty well. And then Rashad McKee ended up taking this job and going with it. So, you know, that game early in the season was a one that, you know, you got to get some reps for somebody who is, you know, very, very fresh into college football. And I think you just saw, you know, a lot of youth. And, you know, Showan would drive down the field, get into the into the red zone, and they would just struggle. I mean, that's where a lot of the yards came from is, you know, you got to get down the field first to even have a chance. And when they got into the 20s, you know, the other thing was that the running game had a lot of struggles, especially when they got into the red zone early in the season. They were trying to, you know, which running back could tote the load if they could rely on one running back, which they've been able to do in prior years, or um, is it going to be running back by committee, which is kind of what it's been more of uh, this year. So there was just so much that Chowan was trying to figure out on offense. And, you know, the defense had a lot of transfers coming in, and they set the tone early. But Chowan, you know, like Duncan runs on, on donuts, you know, Chowan runs on offense. That's what Chowan is. So if they couldn't figure that out, they were going to end for a long season. And they found, they found a recipe that really works really well for them. Drew, your, what about your thoughts about this, uh, this first matchup between these two teams? Correct me if I'm wrong, and, and I'm trying to dig back to my way back machine. That was a rain field game, if I remember correct, Chris. And yes. because of that rain, there was Shawan turned the ball over a lot in that game. You know, it's mighty funny, and this is kind of with Shawan over the whole season. They had possibly one of the best quarterbacks in the CIAA, if not in H. HBCU football, and I'm considering them HBCU right now because they play mainly HBCU Uh competition. Just just for this analogy, just for this analogy, just just for this analogy, though. Uh, Exactly, Drew. Be careful. 
in bright in Bryce Witt. They play in the HBCU conference. We say uh the best quarterback in one in the HBCU conferences in Bryce Witt. And Bryce Witt could not get any help on the defensive side of the ball. Bryce Witt graduates. Now Shawan has one of the better defenses in the CIAA in Division II football. And they're still struggling on offense, Chris. You can say what you want to. They're still struggling on offense. They're they're not the team who can come from behind and beat you. They have to get out on you, stay out in front, and then shorten the game. That's that's Shawan. So, you know, that's just my take on Shawan overall right now. And, and and Fayetteville State got lucky. Point blank. They got lucky in that particular ball game. Uh, competitive ball game. Should have lost the ball game. I wonder if that's going to play into my hey, we should have lost that ball game. And Shawan says, hey, we should have beat them and we're going to go ahead and take care of business this time. Or will Fayetteville State say, hey, we got lucky. We know we got lucky. So this time, let's come out and take care of business. I just, I just want to say, um, you know, when I just want to say real quick that, like, so when Mark Hall took over, I think he recognized that they need help on defense, and he brought in a guy, Colin Neely, who who was in the the, the PSAC, and which is kind of a lead that's not exactly known for defense, but it pretty well. Um, at Edinburgh, and Colin Neely, you know, he had to find players to kind of fit what he wanted to do, but Erwan's defense last year was was pretty good. I mean, it got better as the season went on, but, you know, Chowan really just faltered against, you know, Bowie State. They faltered, you know, they faltered against the CIAA North. And I think they got ahead of themselves success-wise when they got that 5-0 start. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where they follow follow up what was the best season they have had in Division Two with another season that they're 7-3 and three going into the CIAA championship and the, the chance to make it the best season ever for Chowan um, two years in a row. Good point. Good point. You know, just to go back and just as I look at this Juwan, uh, Juwan season, and I was kind of just making notes here, they had four games decided by three points or less, including that contest to Fayetteville State. That was the only one of the four that they lost. So four, uh, three and one in games decided by a field goal or less. I'll go a step further. In games decided by one score, they actually had seven of those games and uh, finished uh, five and two in those games. So uh, there's a team that uh, that strikes me as, uh, you know, when it comes down to winning close ball games or being in close ball games, that's what their whole season has been. Uh, so just something to just a little nugget to kind of throw out for folks. Uh, let's talk about uh, offense versus defense here. So we're going to start with the Fayetteville offense versus Shawan defense. Uh, just in terms of, I'll, I'll just 
just go here and just give you sort of the just general nuggets from a conference perspective. Um, Fayetteville's offense actually comes in sixth in the conference in terms of scoring, averaging 23.9 a game. Shawan's defense comes in third in the conference, allowing 18.7 a game. Um, so that's uh, that's just the, the the general Fayetteville State offense versus Shawan defense. Chris, coming up, coming back to you uh, as you think back on the season, maybe even that game, and you think about the Fayetteville offense versus Shawan defense. What are your what are some of your thoughts there? Oh man, this game is going to be like the um, the Bowie State was State twenty nineteen, where it's like seven. This is not going to be an offensive type blow up game. This is a game. I think it's just going to be one that you're going to really enjoy. Um, Fayetteville State's offense is it's a work in progress. I mean, I think that's the easiest way, the, the, the nicest thing to say about it. Um, you have a quarterback that, uh, in Kari Lane, that was, you know, the leading, like one of the leading passers last year, and he's on the bench. And mm-hmm. because he doesn't really fit the mold of what they're trying to do on offense, which is they, they want a quarterback that's mobile. So they have turned to two quarterbacks and Damari Daniels and Caden Davis that are mobile quarterbacks and are freshmen. And, you know, they tend to more so run the ball um, than pass. They've had some, some some flashes in passing, but they're, they're more of a smash mouth football um, team on offense. And they used to do that with the running backs um, you think about the times of like Stevie Green and they had all that depth behind him and, you know, they carried that on when Stevie graduated. Um, but now they, they, they just don't have the, the, the running backs like that. They use the quarterbacks to do that. And those guys are huge. Um, so it, I think, you know, they're going to try to, you know, get into some third and short situations against Trawan, um, and try to wear it down. Um, but man, this is just, this is not going to be an offensive showcase for Fayetteville State, I don't think. Yeah, they, they, they are not one of the, when you go and look at just the, the overall statistics as a team, uh, they, they are middle of the, middle of the pack. I mean, as you said, nothing statistically impresses you when you go look at the numbers uh, compared to previous teams that have gone into this championship. Drew, any thoughts about this side of the ball, Fayetteville offense versus Shawan defense? No, I'm going I'm to give to uh, Chris, but I I will say with, with both of these teams, whatever the line is, take the under. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have to go look and see where my my D two line is. I don't, I don't know which book is putting that out, but if uh, if you guys find one, you hit me up on Twitter uh, and, and let me know where there's a line somewhere we can get some action in. That that'd be pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> let's flip it over to the other side here as we talk about the Shawan offense versus the Fayetteville State defense and. 
this is where we get into talking about uh, one of the sides having one of the best units in the country. And we're talking about the Fayetteville State defense, which is the sixth best scoring defense in the nation, uh, also in the conference, averaging 12 or giving up 12.8 per game, which is number six overall in Division Two. And so, you know, here we go with, you know, looking at uh, Shawan's offense, which uh, within the CIAA averages 24.7, which is fifth, which is, again, just a point better than Fayetteville State on offense. And then, of course, as mentioned, the Fayetteville State defense, which um, has only allowed 17 touchdowns this season, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, over the course of a 10-game season. Uh, Chris, what about that Fayetteville State defense and uh, what what impresses you? And they've, they've had a pretty good defense over these last few years, but when we talk about this side of the ball in this matchup, what do you got? Yeah, uh, Fayetteville State reloaded on the defensive line. Uh, you know, the, offense, the defensive player of the year last year um, was on the defensive line for, for Fayetteville State. And they reloaded with the likes of Devin Cowan, uh, Cameron Merrill, John Oxy, who transferred in from Catawba. And, and those guys just wrecked shot. I mean, the way that they just control the line of scrimmage um, and slow down opposing uh, offenses, I mean, that's really what Fable State hinges on. And, and Dominic Anderson, the defensive coordinator, has just done a really good job with coaching those guys up beyond just CIAA play. I mean, if you think about, you know, week one, they beat Pembroke. It was a it was a close game. It was like 15 or 16 or 14. I mean, Fayetteville State, you know, they make up for the lack of offense, their offensive consistency with the defense. And that's what really keeps them in the game. Um, now, Trowan certainly got um, a challenge because – you know, if you watch some of their, their last few games, um, they've been kind of like a home run hitter. Um, so, you know, they can hit you with the big splash plays. That's kind of the way Toronto's offense is built. Um, and when they get within the 20s, that's really where Fable State can really bow up and make things very difficult. Um, uh, and, and I think that that's really where teams have just struggled in general. Um, so, to me, I think that, you know, yes, Chowan can rock up a lot of yards, but they really need to score from, like, 30 yards out, in my opinion, because once they get inside the 20s, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see if they can kind of get through um, that defense of Fayetteville State, and, I, and it's going to be really, 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 really tough. Drew, what about what about you? Any, any thoughts on, on this matchup, uh, this side of the ball? No, uh, Fayetteville State, one of the best defenses uh, in in the nation. And honestly, were it not for the other team that we're going to talk about later on in the uh, in the broadcast, we may be talking about that Fayetteville defense being uh, being the best in Division Two HBCU football. So, yeah, advantage has to go to Fayetteville defense against the Shawan offense, which, you know, it's, it's, it's going to, once again, it's going to be for an interesting slugfest game. 
That game was 13 to 10 for a reason. Despite all the yards that were accumulated by one team in that particular game. So I I don't expect a whole lot of scoring in this particular ball game, especially when you may need to take in the weather conditions that may be in Virginia as the tropical storm will probably be over that area during game time on Saturday, which will play a factor into this game. So once again, we may have a slop fest game with a lot of fumbles in it. Chris, question. Is the surface in Salem a natural surface or is it a uh, turf? Because that may make a difference. Okay. Because if, if, if it was natural surface, that would definitely make a difference in the, in this particular ball game because of the footing and everything else. Would, but with turf, it's just, you just have to be concerned with the wet ball. Yeah. Let me statistically – go ahead. Who? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to throw out that to me, the CIAA Defensive Player of the Year is playing in this game. It's either going to be, to me, one of the off- the defensive linemen for favorite Montour, who is the linebacker for Shawan, who leads the conference in tackles and is very high on tackles for losses. So mm-hmm. the defensive player, the offensive player of the year, we kind of know who that's going to be. It ain't in this game. Um, but um, the defensive player of the year for the conference, I think, is in this game. Who do you – go back because I think we may have missed you. I mean, obviously there are a lot of candidates here. Uh, who did you think was going to win the – I mean, there's a lot of candidates. So, I mean, obviously names such as uh, Montre Moore of Shawan. You've also got uh, Ray Darius Freeman, uh, Jamie Blank, um, uh, Devin Chawan. Uh, who, who did you uh, – for Fayetteville. Uh, who did you think, again, would be defensive player – of the year in the conference? I mean, I think it's going to be Montre Moore, but I think that, you know, it's between, to me, it's between him, Cameron Merrill, and um, and um, uh, Devin Cowan. Yeah, I got you. Montre Moore with uh, 100, as I just statistically looked, uh, averaging 10 tackles a game, has 100 total tackles, uh, 50 of them solos, along with six sacks in 10 games during the course of this uh, season. And um, so I just, just want to mention mention them. Let's go over to special teams for a, a moment here. Always one of these, I think it's one of these units that you got to factor in. In a game like this, where again, Shawan has played in seven one-score games for three score uh three point games I should say uh, uh this could be a very close ball game I I mean you know we we already kind of are leaning to towards it being a low scoring game so uh, let's kind of look at uh the the returns and the special teams units and uh I'm trying to see I just had my my stat sheet pulled up here as I look at leaders within the uh the conference in terms of returns uh, Elijah Henry of Fayetteville State averaging 28.9 yards per return uh, this season. And then over on Shawan, you've got uh, Jacob Streeter averaging 24.8 uh, 
297 total yards. And uh, when you get into looking at the, I'll take a quick peek here at the kicking game um, as it relates to field goals. Uh, Fayetteville State, you got uh, Elton Andrew, who uh, averaging uh, in terms of, I'm trying to see how the CIAA stats kind of look at there and break things down. He's 9 of 19 on the season. Uh, with a long of 37, uh, Shawan, uh, Kyle Lotz, uh, not very many field goals under his belt, just two of six on the year. Um, so in terms of field goal attempts, actually within the conference, uh, Fayetteville State and, and Elton Andrew has, has actually had the most field goal attempts. Chris, any thoughts there? just in general regarding the special teams and whose special teams might make a difference in this contest? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be um, favorable states that probably makes more of a, of a difference. And you didn't mention the punter, um, Jacob Young is the punter for, um, for favorable state who um, I think at one point he was averaging 40 yards uh, a punt, uh, which was leading the conference at some point this season. And, you know, a combination of, of uh, Elton Andrew and Jacob Young as, as the kickers, um, you know, they have a, a, an ability to, you know, flip the field, get favorable state, you know, that, that extra little advantage, I feel like, um, in a game that, you know, is expected to be pretty close. Um, you know, the Trowan side of the, of the ball um, it is an area where they're pretty young as well. Um, so I think that's probably why you see a little bit more probably rolling the dice uh, rather than, you know, trying to kick field goals. Um, and so I think the advantage is going to be with Fayetteville State. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the punting. Yeah, Jacob Young actually ended the year t- uh, number two in the conference overall in terms of average, averaging 41.1 yards per punt uh, actually had twice as many as the number one, uh, which is Marvin Holmes, who averaged 43 over at Virginia Union. Um, Patrick Talbot finished fourth bet or had the fourth best average in the conference, 35.4. So, you know, just wanted to make mention of that. Drew, any anything you want to add there in the special teams category for either teams? Anything that caught you or that you saw? No, uh, definitely want to see. This game is probably going to come down to a field goal or a missed PAT. I, I, I'm honestly uh, thinking that. Go ahead. I'm going for that point. You made me. Your block, block block. Yeah, I was gonna, I was okay. gonna, I was gonna ask you, Chris, as you think back to previous CIAA championships, any particular special teams plays that have stood out as a difference maker when you think back of the history uh, over the recent years, especially in the Fayetteville um, State era over the last four. Um, not so much from Fayetteville State. I would probably say that we have had games to be decided by a field goal. Um, I think all the way back to 2015 when South State won um, 17 to 14, that was like 
kicking a field goal at the end of the game to win the game. Um, you know, obviously the 17 set up uh, Bowie State and, and Fayetteville was a, kick, a field goal um, in, in that game as well. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of, um, you, know, mid, you know, block punch or anything like that that I can think of. Um, but, you know, most of the games in recent memory have been more so um, blowouts. And I think we kind of saw things kind of tighten up over the last couple of years of the Bowie State, Fayetteville State matchup. Um, so, yeah. Well, um, I, I want to take a second and, and you know, probably we, we've said this before on some of our shows. Um, the job that uh, Richard Hayes Jr. has done at Fayetteville State um, definitely – is uh, should be mentioned and always deserves to be mentioned as one of the top coaches in the CIAA. It's unfortunate that it's the previous four because uh, we've often said that, you know, we've talked about Bowie State over the last three years being the team of the of the of the recent years. I mean, a win or two by Fayetteville State, and we're talking about them in that conversation as well. And that's how close they have been. Uh, it, it is not easy winning five consecutive division titles. That's what they've done under uh, Coach Hayes. So, um, look, they, they're not taking it for granted. I know that. I know a lot of people, a lot of HBCU folks are rooting for Fayetteville State. Uh, we've, we've jokingly said that the conference is rooting for Fayetteville State. But uh, I don't think that's this, a joke. This is, Ah, look, look, they they won't ever they won't ever say it publicly. But look, uh, this is a this is a good opportunity. <laughs> this is a this is a good opportunity for Fayetteville State, and so um, we'll give predictions here a little bit later. But let's take a break. Come back and get into talking about this uh, heavyweight matchup in the SIC between Tuskegee and Benedict College. So we'll be back right after these words. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard as well as the upcoming week of HBCU Sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. It's like a loop machine. Welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wraps uh, Special Edition. Brian Fulford, A.D. Drew, joined by Chris Ferguson as we break down the CIAA and SIEC championships. That'll be 
on Saturday afternoon, this upcoming Saturday. Uh, that will be November 12th, November 12th. So unlike in the CIAA that has the neutral site location, the SIC does a uh, predetermined east or west division winner hosting. Just so happens that this year, the Eastern Division was the scheduled winner, or the winner of the Eastern Division would host. And so with Benedict winning the East, you get a game in the uh, beautiful uh, Charlie W. Johnson Stadium uh, for, for this contest. And Tuskegee will get on the road and travel. Of course, these two teams did not play this season. Uh, as we've mentioned earlier in the show, we've got two of the hottest teams uh, in Division Two in black college football. Of course, Benedict right now with the OS record in black college football with a 10-0 record. Uh, Tuskegee with the third longest winning streak of the season at 8-0 or eight wins in a row, uh, eight and two uh, record. Of course, all of that since winning their 700th overall program history. So uh, this is the heavyweight matchup. You know, no, I don't, nobody really predicted this. We kind of thought it might happen. And I think once we saw the first month of the season, that's when kind of everybody's eyes kind of perked up. And then especially by mid-October, everyone was already sort of talking, oh, this could be the matchup. Well, this is the matchup. And, this is what we got. So, uh, Drew, I'll, I'll start with you. Obviously, this is your wheelhouse a lot as uh, you have uh, you've covered these teams. Uh, we've got a, a Benedict College comes in 12th ranked in the nation. Uh, Tuskegee, I, I don't think they're nationally ranked. I, I know no. they are. Where are they no. in the region rankings? Nine. Number nine in the region. Number nine. Okay. So, uh, playoffs are – Playoffs, yeah, playoffs are on on the line for both of these teams. Benedict presumably already in regardless of win or loss. Tuskegee could benefit hugely by knocking off Benedict. Uh, it, it would definitely give them a, uh, a bus, and so I won't get into all that. But here we go, Drew. Uh, let's just go general impressions. Uh, and, and as we as we said we were going to do, we we're going to start with uh, Benedict offense and Tuskegee defense. But as we get into that, we'll just kind of start with general impressions about this matchup. Right. You mentioned that these two teams did not play uh, this year. They didn't play last year. They didn't play the uh, year before the pandemic or the year before that. Matter of fact, these two teams have not met on the gridiron since 2010. Wow. 2010 since these two teams Way too long. have met. Way too long. I don't know how the schedule did not have these teams cross over before that, but 2010 was the last matchup that I could find between these two. And take this one step further, Tuskegee has won 12 consecutive games against Benedict. So let's throw that out there to set the <laughs> – to set the stage, as they say. Uh, Benedict comes in. We know they are number 12 of the nation, number one in the region, number one 
uh, top seed in, in the conference. Tuskegee comes in. A lot of people didn't expect a lot out of Tuskegee this year. But, Brian, I told you, if Tuskegee got through to about October, they had the easiest schedule in the SIAC West and would probably win the West, which which they did. Now, here's something that I want everybody to know. Tuskegee has actually been probably tested this season more than Benedict, despite what the records say. What do I mean by that? Of Tuskegee's eight wins, five of those wins have come by one score or less, including two in overtime. Benedict has only had one game within one score. So I'm going to sit right there and and uh, let Chris throw his two cents in after that. When, when you look at the difference of margin, though, you could also say Benedict's been beating the snot out of their opponents versus this geek. I'm just, I'm just yes. saying. Saying, just yes. saying, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it has something to do with that Benedict defense not allowing people to even play mm-hmm. close to them. I, I, mm-hmm. I will put that out there. So and yeah. and, and uh, well, when we get into the offense, I'll, I'll talk about a couple other points. Go ahead, Chris. Chris, yeah, what are your thoughts? General impressions of this matchup? Well, you know, I think last week kind of summed it up for me, where Tuskegee is in a dogfight with a Miles team that is clearly struggling, and you know. It's like if you're saying that, you know, uh, Tuskegee's been tested, yeah, but the competition that they have been playing has not been top-tier competition. And on top of that, I mean, if you think about some of the games that Benedict has played, I mean, they played – I mean, that was just an utter train wreck for the Wildcats. And, I mean, and they're regionally ranked, regionally ranked number seven right now. And so – I just think that the body of work for Benedict is just so much better that to say that it hasn't been tested well, they have certainly played some, some you know, really strong teams, at least in the conference, and, you know, dispatched them pretty pretty easily. Um, th- this matchup, though, is just really interesting, and I know we'll kind of get into more of the offense and defenses, but it, it's just such an interesting matchup for everything that AD has mentioned that they haven't played in so long. I, I don't see how that could happen in, in a conference that, you know, you're rotating opponents and they haven't played since 2010. I, I just, I, I mean, for, if that happens That's in the amazing. CIAA, I, people would just be wondering, what's on? who's running the show here? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that was a really interesting stat line to me. Yeah, exactly. That that might that might have been the nugget of the of the night, Drew, that you just pulled out there. The fact that these two teams haven't played in twelve years—that's uh, crazy. Um, yeah, and and you know, I'll go in I'll the same conference. Harder. In the same, yeah, in the same conference, and and you know, speaking of conference domination, uh, Benedict having never won an SIAC championship. Tuskegee's got 30 of them under their belt, just, you know, either shared or outright. So I throwing that out there in a conference that's been around 100 years, Tuskegee's got about a third of them. Okay, let's get into 
Yeah, Benedict off the Tuskegee defense. Uh, Benedict comes in averaging 36.3 point game, which when I look nationally uh, puts them right about 21 in the nation in terms of average. Actually, it might even be a little bit more, uh, a little bit better than 20 uh, just, you know, recently. Uh, Tuskegee defense allowing 25 points a game. Uh, when it comes to rushing and passing, Benedict uh, rushing, averaging 165.2, passing out a clip of 212. You know, strangely enough, Tuskegee's defense is allowing about that much, 177 on the ground, 14 in the air. Benedict has scored 51 touchdowns this year. Um, on third down, they're averaging about 41.7 on third down. Um, Tuskegee allowing 43.2, uh, fourth down is 50% for Benedict Tuskegee, uh, allowing 35.3 and then in the red zone, which here's here's an interesting number. This is the stat of the day, right? Benedict 74% in the red zone, 32 of 43. In the red zone, oh, you can score on Tuskegee in the red zone because they are allowing 80% in the red zone, 28 of 35. My gosh. So, Drew, (laughs) when we start talking about offense versus defense, hell, the numbers just say score Benedict score. I mean, how do you break this down on this side when you look at it like this? (laughs) More like, how do you justify this? Yeah, wow. Because when you flip it to the other side, you know. Well, it, it, okay, Tuskegee allowing twenty five points a game. Tuskegee scoring twenty eight points a game. Remember, I said those one score games. The statistics prove it that <laughs> they, they're giving up just about as many points as they are as they are scoring. Now the thing is. Uh, I don't know we're not talking about the Tuskegee offense, but the Tuskegee offense can put up points, which maybe allows that defense to make make those type of mistakes where they give up those type points. Here's what's interesting, Brian. Coach Reginald Ruffin, a former defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. has a defense that gives up 25 points a game. 80% in the red zone. 65, 66% touchdown efficiency within the red zone. And you got Chenis Berry, who's a former offensive coordinator. And when you think about as much as this Benedict team has been scoring, what, what are we talking about more with Benedict this year? We're talking about their defense, who is number six in, yeah. I believe, uh, number, top, top five of the nation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Number four. Yeah. So I I, I just find it ironic that the former defensive coordinator is relying on his offense and the former offensive coordinator is relying on his defense this year to be the separator that got them into this uh into this championship game. But when you talk about the, the Benedict offense, were it not for a guy named Jada Byers? Eric Phoenix may be one of those people that we're talking about as a player of the year candidate uh, 
as far as HBCUs go. But let's be real, Jada Byers has ran away with that award. But Eric Phoenix should be in the conversation based upon what he has done for this team, even though he split uh even though he split time at quarterback with the two quarterback system. But uh yeah, th- this team is uh is good. And then when you talk about the Benedict running game, you know, that it comes with two two players. Excuse me, I I, I lost my uh I lost my page. Yeah. You've got you, what are, what they, they got Zy, uh, Zaire Scotland and uh, DeAndre Durant. Both of them are averaging just over 50 yards per Duhart, game. Duhart. Duhart. I'm sorry, Duhart. Uh, Scotland coming Duhart. in right at 55 yards a game. Duhart coming in at 53 yards per game. So that's, that's 100 and 810 yards per game that those guys are split. So what does that mean? You've got a fresh back coming at you all of the time. Then Eric Phoenix, we know Eric Phoenix will pull that thing down and tuck it and run if he can't find what he uh what he wants to see out there. And then when he throws, when he decides to throw the ball, uh, what's that guy name? Harden, Reginald Harden. Oh, oh, he's only averaging twenty five yards per reception. Let's think about that. Yeah. 25 yards per reception with four touchdowns. So, yeah, this Benedict offense is very high-powered, and it's going to give Tuskegee fits. Tuskegee is going to have to defensively. They're going to have to be opportunistic. They're going to have to figure out a way to bend but not break against Benedict and get some key turnovers in order to stay in this game. Chris, your uh, your your general impressions or thoughts on this side of the ball, Benedict offense, Tuskegee defense? Yeah, I think, you know, everything to me with Tuskegee, with the, um, Benedict's offense starts with the offensive line, um, the fist. And the fist is going to give Tuskegee, everything that it can handle. I mean, and then some. They're going to get beat up in this game. Um, when you talk about having those options at running, in, at running, whether it's a quarterback or whether it's a plethora of running backs, that's just going to wear a team down. And I think that, you know, if this game is close in the first half, I, I think the second half is really going to show Tuskegee's medal um, because th- that that offensive line is just going to go after them, and I think it's just going to wear them down as the as the game goes on, if nothing else. That's to me. I think one of the biggest things to to be looking at is, you know, in the trenches because I think that that's really the difference maker um, for Benedict. Um, the, the thing that I am impressed with as I've watched and, and called a couple of Benedict games, the size of their receivers is really FCS level size. Actually, they have bigger receivers than some FCS teams, uh, you know, that are, that are highly thought of and ranked. I mean, they've got some six, five, six, 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 four receivers 
that have that really do a good job of going and getting the ball. And then when you talked about that one-two punch, uh, as I was, as you were mentioning, uh, Scotland and Duhart. Um, now, uh, and I want to make sure I get this right as I was looking at the yards per uh, rush. DeAndre Duhart leading the SIC with an average per carry of 9.1 yards per carry and eight touchdowns. And now, again, he is splitting carries with Scotland. I mean, so Zaire Scotland and Duhart are a one-two punch. I mean, one is one has probably got about 500-something yards, or close to 600. The other's got four. And uh, so that impressed me. 524 to, to 474. Yeah, I was looking to see nationally where that 9.1 average is. And I don't know if Duhart has enough carries to be in the mix because if he did – 9.1 would be tops in the nation. Uh, I think right now the number one in D2 averages 8.57 per carry. That's the number one guy. And just to you know bring it home, Jada Byers averages 6.88. Uh, now, on the other side, Tuskegee does have a top 10 running back in yards per carry, and that's Torian Taylor. Uh, Taylor with uh, 790 rushing yards in just eight games, Drew, 790. Uh, averaging 6.64, um, you know, so that's that's kind of interesting. To and, and Chris, you talked about the offensive lines. It'll be interesting to see whose offensive line has the best day, you know, because I, I think both have shown through the course of the season that uh, that that's where that's where that's where home is. That's where home and the heart is, so to speak. Um, and so that that's what's going to be interesting. And and just a little side note, Drew, you mentioned Eric Phoenix. Probably it could be up for consideration for Offensive Player of the Year in the SIC. I think there's a young man in Fayetteville State, uh, who who or not Fayetteville, but in Fort Valley Fort, at Fort Valley. Talk about Daniel Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he might be he might be in. Look, as as good as Phoenix has has led this team. What Wilson is doing at Fayetteville State, uh, he, he I would Valley. not be surprised if he Fort, Fort, Fort Valley. Fort I, got, Valley. I, got, yeah, I got Fayetteville State on my mind here at this show. But, uh, yeah, he, he might be in running into running for Offensive Player of the Year. Um, let's flip over to the other side. Tuskegee offense versus the Benedict defense. And this is where the challenge comes, right? Because nationally ranked, yeah, as you just mentioned, uh, Benedict averaging or allowing 11.1 points a game. That's fourth best in the nation in Division Two. Uh, uh, that that is that's the side of the ball that has uh, wrecked havoc for many folks this year. Uh, offensively, though, as Drew pointed out, Tuskegee offense is scoring almost 28 points. Uh, so they're, they're sort of making up for what the defense is giving up. Rushing-wise, the ski offense averaging 171 yards in a contest, passing 172. So uh, coaches dream of a balanced attack. Well, that's about as balanced as you could get right there from Tuskegee. 171 on one side, 172 in the air, scoring 36 touchdowns. Benedict is only giving up 120 on the ground and 116 in the air. Uh, on third down, 
Tuskegee's offense, 42.8% on third down. Benedict even stingier by just giving up 25.4. Fourth down, 7 of 17 on the year for Tuskegee. Benedict, uh, 3 of 19. So good luck and you get the fourth down against Benedict. Interesting red zone numbers, okay? Interesting red zone numbers. Tuskegee, 91.7% in the red zone. 33 of 36. The few times that Benedict has allowed people to get into the red zone, and they've only allowed How many times 15, was it, Brian? 15. That, uh, there's a 10-game season. Only 15 times has their opponent been in the red zone. They've given up 10 scores. So that right there, just highlight and circle that and say, can Tuskegee get the ball to the 20-yard line or inside the 20? Because that's where opportunities to score may come from. And, you know, uh, in the red zone, Tuskegee has scored a touchdown on 69.4% of the time. So, Drew, uh, what's your what's your takeaways here, Tuskegee offense versus the Benedict defense? How are they going to get points against this stingy defense? They're going to have to get the ball to Tareen Taylor, run the ball by behind Nathan Harrison, who's one of those uh, – Second team, uh, SIAC offensive lineman, preseason offensive lineman, and shorten the ball game in order to have a chance. Taylor, along with uh, quarterback Tyson Wilson, Tyson Williams, are going to have to really control the ball. Keep something else in mind. Uh, Bryson Williams has a completion percentage of almost 60%, which ranks in the top 50 in the nation. So between that and the short pass game, keep the ball in bounds, allow the clock to run, keep that Benedict offense off the field. Now that's easier said than done, especially when you look at the Benedict defense, when you have a guy like uh, by the name of Luper uh, Dedellis, who ranks in the top 10 in the nation in sacks, uh, Jada Broughton, who's number 40 in sacks. Uh, Dedellis, number 11 in tackles for loss. Linebacker uh, named Jerron Kilpatrick, along with Dedellis, have each forced three fumbles. So that's going to be the challenge. Can you keep these individuals? Because you can game plan for one person. It's hard to game plan when you've got four or five of them like Benedict does on the defensive side of the ball. It's going to be interesting. Chris, your thoughts? Well, there is one stat that you have mentioned that I think is going to be um, something I will be keying in on. Tuskegee's defense gives up more sacks to his opponents. I'm sorry, the offense gets sacked more than the Tuskegee defense gets sacks. And because of that, all the things that AD has just said about Benedict's defense, I mean, they got to be licking the chops here because I, I am I am kind of concerned as to whether Tuskegee is going to be able to get effective pass plays off with the way that this rush is going to be coming at them uh, with that stat line. So to me, I, I think that's the, the key there is that, you know, they're going to have to get the defense to try to respect the 
the the the pass game some way somehow, um, and, and get some pressure um, and, and get some pressure off the run game because if they if all they all they're successful in doing is 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 running, and you know they get into like a thirty five situation, it's it's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be good for Tuskegee here. Um, as we kind of move over to uh, special teams, Drew, I and I. If if you mention his name, I, I forgive me here, but I was thinking about Bryson Bryson Williams, quarterback. Yes, I did. For yes. uh, okay, Touch yeah, I, I mean that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean is in what are his what are his prospects in this game? I mean, you know, so much attention will be on so many other people. I, I mean, is this the kind of moment? Is this the kind of opportunity where he might be? Uh, you know, it's hard to consider a quarterback an X factor, but I don't think eyes will be focused on him per se. I mean, is this an opportunity for him to to really shine and sort of be that difference maker in this contest? He's going to have to be a difference maker in this contest if Tuskegee is going to win this game. One thing about Bryson uh, Williams is he doesn't go downfield as well as some other quarterbacks. doesn't have the deep arm talent. Now, you get him throwing the short to medium ball, he, he's very good and consistent with that, henceforth that 60% pass completion uh, percentage that I've talked about. But uh, going downfield, taking shots downfield is not his, not his strong point, which is going to allow Benedict to keep eight men in the box against Tuskegee. And like Chris just said, you're talking about a team that gives up sex. So the the probably the question that you need to ask, Brian, is will Bryson Williams uh, finish this game healthy against Benedict because of the pressure that they like to put on the ball? And then if that's the case, what what do you have coming behind him? Now, the one one positive thing about Williams is that he is second overall in the conference in total offensive touchdowns. Now, that's a stat that combines rushing and passing touchdowns. Uh, so you expect to see a lot of quarterbacks in this category. He's actually tied for second uh, with 17 total touchdowns, 10 passing, seven rushing. And that's number two behind Kelvin Durham. Uh, Fort Valley State with 18, with 18. So just wanted to put that out there. Okay, going over to special teams. Um, this is the one area that I, I kind of chuckle a little bit because Drew's been on this since the beginning of the year about kicking. And, you know, I he mentioned it early back in September. You stayed with in October. And so it'll be interesting to see here we are now at the end of the season, how it matters. Benedict is only in terms of field goals, uh, three of seven. I mean, literally seven attempts, field goal percent, 42.9%. Uh, Tuskegee, on the other hand, nine of 16 from field goal percent uh, of 56.3. PATs. Now, this is enough, This is going into that kicking issue. Benedict, 42 of 50 on PATs. Tuskegee, 33 of 34. So, I mean, what we're, we're talking a point or two. And if you believe that this game is going to come down to a one score or a field goal game, probably advantages Tuskegee, maybe. 
Uh, punt yardage, Tuskegee averaging 42.1 a punt, Benedict 38.7. We've seen Benedict with good days punting. We've seen bad days punting from Benedict. So I, I just had to put that out there to be honest. Uh, Drew, uh, since that has been your horse that you have refused to die on, what's your thoughts there <laughs> on the, the special teams for both teams? Brian, do you remember what we did the – Benedict, I don't remember what it was the like the second weekend in October, the Benedict game. I believe you Benedict and I were on the call the day. Was that Benedict Miles? Yes. Benedict Miles, okay. yes. Here, here was the thing, Brian. At that point in time in that game, and I remember this because I harked on you about harked on this about this to you. They were three for seven in field goals at that point in time. That means they have not kicked a field goal in the last five games. They have not even attempted a field goal in the last five games, Brian. Now, is that They haven't because... needed to, Drew. They haven't needed right. to. That's I my retort. The they haven't needed to. I, or in, in situations where you may normally have kicked a field goal, like, and, and I, I'll give you one time, which, which I know they had, it has happened. When they played Albany State, there was a time when they should have kicked the field goal, and because they had the ball inside the twenty, and it was fourth down, and they went for it. And I don't remember if they ultimately got the touchdown of it. They did convert the fourth down, but I can't remember whether they got the touchdown of it. But sometimes that forces your offense to do things you really shouldn't be doing, especially this time of the year where points are a premium. Now, mm-hmm. they, they'll probably survive this game without having to do that. But as they go on further into the playoffs, I hope that they have solved this situation with with the field goal. Same same thing with the uh, punting situation. You know, if 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 it's an opportunity to flip the field, advantage Tuskegee. So those are a couple of things that you definitely want to. Uh, Want, want to keep an eye on that. Tuskegee definitely has the advantage kicking and punting. Now, here's the thing. I don't think you want to kick the ball to the returners for either one of these two teams, Brian. Because for oh, uh, I agree. For Benedict, you have Kendall Norman, who's averaging uh, 15 yards per punt return. He's one of the tops in the uh, nation as far as uh, punt return. And for Tuskegee, on the kickoff, you have Michael King. Shout out to Michael King. I actually coached him in Little League football. I just want to throw that out there. But he's number 17 in the nation, averaging almost 28 yards per kick return. And last, last thing, Ryan Duff sits 16th in the nation in punting average at 42 yards uh, per punt. How about you, Chris? Any uh, any thoughts on the special teams game or any any miscellaneous stats that I might have missed or we might have missed? Well, I think it's kind of scary if you haven't, you know, attempted a field goal, you know, since that point in the season. And I think it just shows how much risk-taking Benedict's willing to do um, in those situations, which, I mean, they're going to have to do that in the playoffs. I mean, there's no doubt about it that, you know, that type of risk-taking is going to have to happen. It's the same thing with Chowan. Chowan has got one of the um, um, 
some big rollers in terms of risk taking and CIW Benedict doing something like that, I think is actually a good thing um, to to try that and see you know if those plays work. Um, but you know if you get into tight games, um, you know not having a, a tested kicker can can really come back to bite you. And so it'll be curious to see how that if that unfolds here. If we have to wait to see how that unfolds in the playoffs. All right. Uh, one other stat that I did come across that I don't think we mentioned is penalties and penalty yardage. Now, maybe just by number, the number of penalties for Tuskegee during the course of this year, totally 82, uh, which you do the math. That's, you know, probably what, uh, eight or, um, you know, what, eight a game. While Benedict penalties have been 54 total penalties. Now, the yardage is very close. We lost Brian there for a moment. He may, you know, he's down in Florida with the uh, with all those storms. But going back over those penalty yards, Benedict on the season, 54 penalties for 537 yards. Tuskegee has 82 penalties, 613 yards. And Chris also, time of possession. You would, I guess Benedict likes to score quick because they actually are averaging under 30 minutes uh, time of possession, 29.06, whereas Tuskegee is trying to hold the ball and shorten the game as much as possible, 31.14 in time of possession. So, Chris, uh, anything about those two stats uh, that sticks out to you? Well, the you know, Benedict having as almost as many penalty yards as uh, Tuskegee does, uh, means that when they are doing penalties, it's probably resulting in first downs. And, and they're going to have to be very careful of that, you know, whether it's a pass interference or, you know, um, um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties or something like that, 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 you know, 15 yards or some big chunk yards and reset the downs. Um, they're going to have to be very careful with that. Uh, whereas, you know, Tuskegee's might be something more like holding, especially if, if that offensive line is not doing like they're supposed to and they're, you know, balanced offense means we want to run the ball. Um, you're more likely to get more of the, the holding type penalties in those situations. Um, I just think that, you know, both teams are going to have to play a clean game here. And uh, it'll be really interesting because, you know, they haven't seen each other in so long that you don't really pick up on other teams' tendencies um, um, when you don't play in, in such a long time. Yeah. One last thing, and we didn't talk about it in the uh, with the CIAA, and if you want to bring it, bring it us up it, with the CIAA people, please feel free. But uh, the coaches, Coach Ruffin is coaching in, in his sixth SIAC championship game, four consecutive. He's 4-1 in those previous five. Coach Barry on, is only in his second season and has already made it to the SIAC championship. So does that even matter in a game like this? And if you would, after you answer that, go back and talk about those coaches from the CIAA and break those coaches down for everybody. Yeah, I think from the SIAC perspective, that that matters a lot. I mean, because out of the four coaches that have made it to their respective championship games, 
he's the only one that's actually won a championship. And, and so, you know, I think it's just important that, you know, Tuskegee being the underdog here, it, it may help with settling them down and make them realize that, hey, you know, it's four quarters. They put on their shoes like we put on our shoes, you know, and go out there, have fun, you know, uh, uh, make it a memorable game. And also scheming, right, that they're going to sit down and break down film. And, you know, I think you may see a little bit more um, risk-taking from Tuskegee in, in a game like this because the coaches certainly know that, you know, there's a lot on the line here, whereas Benedict – you know, they want to win a, a championship, right? And I think that they're going to be so, you know, really motivated to do that. But they still got football ahead of them, too, beyond this game. Whereas Tuskegee playing for their playoff lives in this game. So there's a lot at stake. And, you know, certainly having that experience really helps because I think that, you know, if, if you're outmatched in, in, you know, there's a talent gap there, which there seems to be a little bit of a talent gap there, it could be made up in coaching. Um, now, on the CIAA side, you have, you know, Coach Hayes, Richard Hayes, Federal State, uh, who's, you know, in this game uh, for the fifth consecutive season, going up against Mark Hall, Chowan, who's in this game. Really, Chowan's in the game for the first time ever. Um, as a Division II school and as a CIAA member. And I think here, uh, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Uh, you know, Co Coach Hall is, you know, he's kind of the, 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 the riverboat gambler. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's definitely going to, you know, pull out a lot of different plays that, um, that uh, uh, are just different. You know, the quarterback running the ball, jet sweeps, um, you know, he, he, he does a lot of trick plays. Um, I'm sure they, you know, they practice those things. And you don't normally see that from a lot of HBCU football. Um, and I think it's just emblematic of, you know, I think he knows that this is a really big deal. Um, and he's going to play like it. But I don't think you're going to see a ton of changes. I think people who have not watched Cho on football, which, you know, has been free, unlike <laughs> the rest of the CIAA this year. Um, if they haven't watched Cho on football, I think they're in for a little bit of a treat on offense uh, from him. And I think Coach Hayes, you know, you don't have the boogeyman Bowie State, you know, here and again, and and um, they don't get a crack at Virginia Union, which they lost two by three, by the way. Uh, you know, this is about as good a chance as ever to to finally get over that hump against a team that you actually have already beaten. And so I think it'll just be really interesting because I think Chowan is just, they're definitely a much more experienced team than they were when they played them a few weeks ago. And it's really going to test out, um, you know, uh, Coach Hayes and, and what he and his staff is going to be able to do. All right. And with that, we, this is what we go do. We're going to take it to a break. Brian is going to rejoin us after the break. He's got his internet issues uh, resolved. We're going to get into the predictions after we come back from the break. Uh, we're going to break down the playoff projections for each conference, uh, who, who will get in, where those teams will possibly uh, rank, and then we're going to call it a night, uh, my brother. So, some people have the holiday tomorrow, Veterans Day. Shout out to all the veterans out there. Those who are, those who served our country well, S some of us 
Steve had to go in and hit the, cl- hit the clock if the storm doesn't uh, catch us down here in South Georgia. But you're watching and you're listening watch to the BCSN Sports Wrap. A.D. Drew, Brian Fulford, Chris Ferguson. This is the CIAA SIAC Championship Preview. We will be right back. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. You see, Head & Shoulders has scalp shield technology protects against flakes even between washes. It's never not working. Kind of like us. Number 15? Never not working. I don't like this one. Me neither. Let's get out of here. Head & Shoulders scalp shield. Never not working. It's the show where we take you inside the game before the game begins. It's it's the pregame. With your host, Charles Bishop and Neely. So get ready, because we pregame harder than the other show's party. It's the pregame. Follow the Black College Sports Network on social media at MyBCSN1, the number one, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MyBCSN1. This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Round Table, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Nope. Nope. Come on, him? Ooh, I like him. Quicker picker-upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. This is the dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app, as we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard, as well as the upcoming week of HBCU sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, 
on Dr. Gaville's Inside HBC Sports Lab with Mike Watts and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. Welcome back to the BCS and Sports Wrap. Uh, Brian Ford, A.D. Drew, Chris Ferguson. Uh, I promise I am here in audio. Hopefully, um, you know, who knows what's going on with my internet video connection as, you know, explain Tropical Storm Nicole. So, uh, hopefully you guys are hearing me well. Yes. yes, yes, we are. Yes, All yes, right. but you, but you move it, right. but you move it like a, a old Android phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I can't help. Right, it's how T-Mobile treats its 18 years. This is how they treat their 18. I gotta say, with bad internet connections. Okay. Let's lay off predictions before we get or playoff analysis before we give these game predictions. Uh, what stake? Who's going where? How do you see this out? Chris, we'll start with you, Chris. Your thoughts on the playoffs and and uh, how this is going to shake out? Well, um, you know, right now you have Benedict, who's won uh, Virginia in four, uh, Fort Valley is seven and uh, Tuskegee at nine. Um, a couple of things about the playoff really quickly is, number one, there are no automatic bids for conference champions. Number two is the top seven um, get in. And given that in the CIAA's case, you got Virginia Union in the top seven, um, there's no earned access, which would be anybody who was eight and nine. Um, if nobody else was in a conference in the top seven, they could have pumped somebody out. So. You know, really, the CIAA, you know, certainly has one team locked in that Virginia Union's not playing this week. Um, they're in. Um, Benedict is in as well. Now, if they win um, on Saturday, then they essentially will become the first HBCU to get a top seed in the last 10 years. They've been close, you know, close um, – Teams have gotten close. Blue State was two last year. Virginia State was two in 2017. But this will be the first time uh, in 10 years, 10-year anniversary, uh, with Sale State getting a one seed that, you know, another HBCU gets to that um, coveted uh, um, um, seed. And that's important because then they get a first-round buy. There's only the, only, only the top seed gets a first-round buy. Now, Fort Valley State is in a really precarious position because we know what happened last year. Savannah State was in this very same position last year, and they got bumped out. You know, they did not play the 11th game. They did not make the championship game, and they were left out. But Fort Valley, I think, is in a better position to stay seven um, or even go up relative to their peers. And a lot of that has to do with the South Atlantic beating up on each other. 
Um, there's a lot of eight and two teams in the South Atlantic. Um, Fort Valley's strength of schedule is better than um, uh, a few of those teams, and that really helps with seeing really what it's coming down to. A bunch of eight and two teams that um, you're looking at a performance indicator, you're looking at the strength of schedule, and that's really what's helping um, Fort Valley to be to where they are. Um, I think, you know, Tuskegee um, winning the championship um, could possibly knock Fort Valley out. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, but Fort Valley, I believe, has the head-to-head tiebreaker over Tuskegee. So, um, you know, that comes into play. If they're one is seven and one is eight, you know, if, if Fort Valley was eight and Tuskegee was seven, that tiebreaker um, could come into play and kick Tuskegee out, but in this case, it's the other way around. The other question I've gotten a lot this year is, well, what do you do with Fayetteville State and Chobon? Um, unfortunately for Fayetteville State, their issue is strength of schedule. It's very, very weak. Um, for two lost teams, you know, when you're measuring them up against uh, the South Atlantic, who, uh, you know, they lost to, to, to Wingate, um, the strength of schedule with the, the Seattle South being as bad as it is, it's just not there. And so, you know, they needed to really run the table or even have just one loss and, and, and two losses just isn't going to cut it for them. So I don't see them getting into the field. Um, it's just too crowded. And Chowan is interesting because they're seven and three. And, you know, you have all these two lost teams ahead of them. But a 7-3 team in which you get a rematch at one of the teams that beat you gives Trowan the ability to neutralize that loss against Fayetteville State. And if that happens, I think things get a little bit more interesting because Trowan's strength of schedule is better than a lot of those 8-2 and two teams. It's better than, you know, a Tuscaloosa that actually did beat them earlier this year. It's better than, I believe, Lenore Ryan. It's better than Albany State. It, it's better than some of these teams that um, are ahead of them. And you need, you know, they would need somebody like a Mars Hill um, to lose um, because the strength of schedule for Mars Hill is not good. And Mars Hill is playing Newberry in the uh, championship game for the South Atlantic. So it's just one of those things where there, Chowan makes for a very interesting um, conversation for in and, and and if they win they're playing as good as anybody right now um but it's a long shot honestly it, it is a huge long shot um so the, the other thing i just want to note about playoffs is that the gulf south teams are all playing teams that they have already played in week 11. um they, they're playing rematches so you know if a team's already beaten somebody else which you know the delta states the west georgia's the west Florida's, they all if I remember correctly, beat all the teams that they're playing this week. So they're not they're not going to get a boost um, by beating the same team again, which means that the number one seed is really Benedict's to lose at this point. Uh, the Virginia Union um, at four, they, they really need to stay at four um, to get a home game because the top four gets home games. So that's kind of the breakdown of playoffs to me. 
Drew, anything you want to add into, into that uh, or any other thoughts regarding playoffs? Uh, first thing I want to add is you need to go to d2football.com and read the article that I put out today uh, entitled, What Valley Submits Resume Early to Super Region 2 Committee because they did not play that 11th game. So I took the time to break down the Fort Valley season and how their resume may be discussed on Sunday before the selection show comes out at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on NCAA.com. And I'm just going down some of the notes I made in there. Chris already mentioned uh, Tuskegee and Benedict. Let's talk about uh, UVA-wise and Wingate. Wingate lost the tiebreaker for the SAC championship game, which means they are on the outside looking in, and they're taking on a 2-8 and eight UVA Wise team this weekend. Wingate sits at number five. They play a 2-8 and eight team the last week of the season. Does not help your strength of schedule. Advantage Fort Valley by being idle. Just want to put that out there. Mars Hill takes on Newberry in the SAC championship game. Newberry was ranked up until this past week. Mars Hill sits at six, just above Fort Valley. Newberry defeats Mars Hill. Fort Valley moves up at least one spot. Just want to put, just want to put that out there for some things for you guys to, uh, to think about. Emory, Emory, and Henry okay. at Limestone. What was that, Brian? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. No, Emory and Henry at Limestone. Limestone sits number eight, just behind Fort Valley. Once now, this game could play a little bit because you're taking on an Emory and Henry team that sits at 500 going into this game. But if you defeat them, when they look at them on Sunday, now they're below 500. And the committee really likes to see victories over with teams over 500, especially within region, which is why the number nine team, Tuskegee, is at a disadvantage because they are, they've only faced one team over 500. We talked about this off schedule earlier. And they are 0-1 against that team. And who is that 0-1-2? Fort Valley. That sits above Tuskegee already in the ranking. Advantage Fort Valley. And then you've got uh your number team, your number 10 team, which comes out of the uh, Gulf South, which is West Georgia. Look. West Georgia's probably out of a win or lose. Everybody in front of them could lose, and West Georgia still probably will not get in. So you could – now, I want to throw this out to you, Chris. I've got I've got this bullet point in there in the article. I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, glance at it yet. Called Chaos. Wake uh, – Wingate loses, Mars Hill loses, 
Tuskegee win. Do both Tuskegee and Fort Valley get in now? Just got to put that out there. Benedict loses Ooh. their double one C. Benedict loses their double one C, but we could wind up with four HBCUs under that scenario. Because Tuskegee definitely is going to get a bump by beating the number one team. So we know that they're bumped from nine to at least seven. But if those other two teams in front of Fort Valley should lose, Fort Valley may, may go from seven up to six. Or maybe even possibly up to five. Just got to put that out there. We could wind up with four HBCUs under my chaos scenario. I would hate it for Benedict, but as a HBCU pundit, I would love to see. I would love to see four of them in there. So uh, that's it. But yeah, go to d2football.com. You can check out that article and my uh, SIC championship uh, article. Have you put your article out yet uh, for the week, Chris? No, I'll be typing that up as soon as I get off of here. <laughs> I got you. I got you. We'll make sure you go check out Chris's CIAA preview. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be published in the morning. Uh, the, the one thing that I, I'd like to add when I look at it as the number one, potentially the number one overall schedule, I went back and looked at it. It was a whole, it was an entire pretty much an HBCU spent. They opened the season against the CIAA team. Uh, I mean, Elizabeth City bottom half team, but then they played Lane and the rest of the SCC. So pretty much nine of their 10 games have been against IAC schools, which them winning uh, and getting the number one overall seed speaks real highly of the SIAC and the fact that the SIAC might be the best conference in the region. I, I'm just, just I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with me on that, but this is observation. Um, let's go to predictions. Uh, and let's oh, start can I, can with I, can before you throw it out, Brian, I, I just want to put this uh, out there. Okay. This, this, this is going to be real quick. Assuming that everything holds as it is right now with the seven that are in or the seven that are in on Sunday, I you will potentially be looking at Fort Valley going to either Delta State or West Florida for the, for the opening round matchup. Because they're gonna to try to keep the uh they're gonna to try to keep the distance. I realistically I see Fort Valley going over to Delta State, Wingate going down to West Florida, and Mars Hill traveling up to Virginia Union, if everything holds as it is currently, right now in the open round. It's very possible. Okay. I mean, I think there's uh, another prediction that okay. showed a little bit different with uh uh, Wingate going to Virginia Union and uh, Mars Hill going to West Florida, but I think that's a that's definitely a scenario that's more favorable to the HBCUs for sure. I think um, the other the, the one thing I didn't want to mention in terms of advantages for for Fort Valley is that Fort Valley and Limestone actually have identical 
strength of schedule, right? Down to the, you know, three numbers. Uh, yes. So with, with, with um, Limestone playing the 11th game against a team that's under 500, their strength of schedule going down. So that's another advantage too for, for Valley getting in. All right, anything else so we can go to predictions? Anybody wants to add so we can go to predictions? No. Let's do it. All right. Let's go to the CIAA. What, that game is scheduled to kick off at uh, – somebody give me the uh, kickoff time. Noon. That's at noon. I do believe. Noon. It's early earlier than previous years. Has it always been at Chris? I thought it was one o'clock. I need to go check my notes there. <laughs> I may yeah, be wrong. Look, it's, it's, uh, well, I heard you I heard you say it. So anyway, let's uh uh either a noon or a one PM kickoff. We'll we'll figure that out here in a moment. Um a rematch of a previous from back in September, Fayetteville State in their fifth consecutive championship, looking for their first title. Shawan never been here before. This is their first appearance. Um, Chris, I'll go to you first. Scoring prediction. How do you think this one goes? Well, you know, as kind of mentioned earlier, these are, you know, two, these are two of the three best teams in the CIAA. The other one in Virginia, and those three teams kind of sort of beat up on each other, you know, because Virginia Union did beat Fayetteville, and Fayetteville beat Chowan, Chowan beat Virginia Union. So it, it's just kind of really interesting that, you know, all three of those games were very physical games, um, and and I just see a situation here where this these two games, it's going to be a very close game. Um, you know, I do think that the score is probably going to be you know, a twenty-one seventeen type um, type score. I do think that in this particular case, that Chowan is probably going to be looking to get redemption um, because they felt like they could have won that game against Fayetteville earlier this season. So I, I think Chowan is going to get redemption in this game, much to, to the dismay of um, uh, many many viewers on the show. So if you find out that I've gone into witness protection, you'll know why. <laughs> uh, Drew, who do you have scoring prediction? Uh, before we before I put out scoring prediction, that game is scheduled for one o'clock in Salem, Virginia. That game will be on Aspire TV. Uh, if you're one of the three people who get Aspire, make sure that you tune in to Aspire TV. Uh, also going on on the same day of the CIAA Volleyball Championships will also be in in Salem at the Civic Center uh, on Saturday. So if you're in the Salem, Virginia area, uh, actually tomorrow and Saturday, make sure you check out the CIAA Volleyball Championships. Now, Getting back to my uh, getting back to the prediction. First, I, I always like to go to Massey Ratings, MasseyRatings.com. Has this game 
with a predicted score of 20 to 19 in favor of Chawan with a 49, excuse me, with a 51% win probability for Shawan. So with that being said, I, as much as these defenses are good, I have to favor the Fayetteville defense a little bit more. Uh, they are better ranked, and, and Fayetteville offense is just slightly better than Shawan's offense, and I think that's just going to be enough to get it through. You know, the over-under on this game is definitely those 40 points, 39 points that they've got in there. You know, you know normally you say – the first to 20 wins the game. I'm honestly going to say the first to double digits is going to win this game on Saturday. And, and you're fair. taking Fayetteville State. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yes, I'm taking Fayetteville State. All right. All right. So uh, that leaves me with the uh, the middle. I, I, I thought you sounded like you were going to go on there for a second. But – I'm going to go close ball game, three ball game time. Uh, I'll stick with a similar outcome. I'll go uh, Fayetteville State 17, Chawan 14, and uh, uh, I think it's it's time. I think it's time to celebrate Fayetteville State as a champion and uh, give Coach Hayes and those guys their flowers. So um, we'll we'll see. Should be. Should be a good one. Um, so that that's a CBA game. So Juan, Drew, and I. Right, here we go. SIAC matchup. Benedict. Uh, Drew, I'll, I'll start with you since this is your, your wheelhouse. SIAC. Who do you got? Benedict or Tuskegee? Head or heart? Who are you going with, Drew? Started off with Bassey. Bassey has this game predicted score 31-14 in favor of Benedict. Benedict with an 87% uh, win probability in this particular ball game. Look, this, this game is going to come down to one thing. Can the Tuskegee offense keep up with the Benedict offense. Yes, they can. Can the Tuskegee defense stop the Benedict offense? No, they can't. Tuskegee's only chance is to put the ball in Tareem Taylor's hand, short the ball game, get a turnover, get a special teams play. That's the only chance Tuskegee has. In this ball game, but Coach Ruffin, I believe I, I believe in Coach Ruffin. Coach Ruffin has been known to pull a rabbit out of his hat. <laughs> then I think back to last year. Then I think back to last year in Albany State, and I was waiting on that rabbit to come out the hat, and all he pulled out was fur against Albany State last year. I, I, I love I love Mother Tuskegee, but I, I have to I have to say with my professional uh, my professionalism I have to pick Benedict Tigers in this ball game 
and I have to pick the Bay Tigers by double digits in this ball game. Uh, I, I appreciate you. Uh, I know that was tough. Uh, and hey, look, uh, it may have been fur, but was it 29? He pulled the whole fleet of rabbits out of the hat uh, back in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So, he looked, yes, you know, he can't, he can't come out. He can't come, he we got, he, he he got the leftover in 2019. <laughs> yeah, but, but nothing but fur left in that one. So, yeah, that'll be Chris, how about you? How do you see this going? I know the pain. I felt the pain of AD having to make that pick. I know that, that's that's the pain I've had all season for Wisconsin State. I, I know that pain. <laughs> so, anywho, um, yeah, this this game is going to be a real challenge for Tuskegee. I mean, I don't. I, I just think that you know they've seen you know a rushing attack like this before early in the season with Fort Valley and they're going to see something like that again um, this time around. One that may be just a little bit more potent um, than what they experienced at uh, Fort Valley. And, you know, I, I, this, this game, I don't get close um, for many reasons, including the fact that this is not really a neutral site game. I mean, this is like the Rams playing it's a home game. the Super Bowl at the house. This is a home game. I mean, yeah, yeah. Students got to pay fine, whatever. But it's a, it's a virtual home game. So, I, can, can I cut I, you off right there, though, Chris? Yeah, it may be it may be in Benedict Stadium, but you may see more crimson and gold in that stadium than you see purple and gold. So, although it may be their turf. It may be crowd advantage Tuskegee. Sorry, I had, I had to put fair. that out. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, nonetheless, I think that this is a double-digit uh, win for, for Benedict. I, I think it's going to be Benedict by uh, 17. Mm. That, uh, that's almost what I have, Chris. I've got Benedict 28 10 18 points. So uh, I think we're we're simpatico in our thought process that it and and look my my ten it might be a close game in the first half, but I'll go second half with uh, two touchdowns. Yeah. So it might be a 14 to 10 ball game at halftime, and runs away with it in the second half with a shutout in the second half. So that's how I'm I'm looking at that. So uh, one and zero win day for Chennis uh, Berry and Benedict. Um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully the scenario where we see at least, yeah, I, I think if we see at least three HBCUs in the playoffs, that'd be great. I, you know, I think we definitely got two going in. I'd love to see the third one. So uh, we'll we'll just kinda, we'll kind of keep it there. All right, hey, uh, Chris, appreciate your time tonight. You guys go check out. Uh, Chris's uh, article d2ball.com and maybe following him at d2ferg f-e-r-g and that's where you can uh, especially on game day are you going to the game uh, Chris or are you uh, just live tweeting yes 
No, I'll be there. Okay. Uh, so uh, enjoy uh, and safe travels. Uh, Drew, uh, what about you? Are you heading to Columbia? Yes, uh, my plans are right now to be in Columbia. I maybe do a little bit of double duty as uh, Billy Dick has some basketball going on also uh, on on Saturday. So although the, the stadium and the basketball arena are about two miles apart, I'll be between the two as much as possible uh, trying try to cover, try to cover both. All right, and uh, make sure to follow Drew at, at Drew and check out his article. Two interesting articles. Not only did he put up a preview, but also an article that gives a, gives a resume and what Valley State uh, has in front of them. So go check that out. You can go read uh, both of their articles on d2football.com. And we have, we've already retweeted out and we'll make sure to retweet his article once he finishes it typing uh, tonight. Chris, staying in late with us tonight and getting this one done. Uh, looking forward to uh, a great Saturday of championship, the SIC championship, I believe, at 2 p.m. Central at 3 Eastern. So 2 Central, 3 – no, no, 2 – I'm sorry. 2, two Eastern. Eastern. I forgot. South. 2 Eastern, 1 Central, ESPN, yeah, 3, Eastern. I believe. ESPN three. All right, so that'll be a that'll be a watch. So that's going to do for Chris Ferguson and AD True. That's going to do it for tonight. Show. Hey, thanks for hanging in there with us, guys. We'll be back on Sunday night on our regular time. We'll talk about this game and the other games that occurred over on the FCS side, and we will know who is in and who is not by the time we do our sports wrap show on Sunday night. So we look forward to bringing that show to you then. Uh, be well, be safe, have a good night, and uh, make sure to get out to either Salem, Virginia, or Columbia, South Carolina for these championship games. Peace out, everybody. Well,